This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Datadog. This week, I'm chatting with Linda Nichols about serverless developer culture. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 48. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm chatting with Linda Nichols. Hey, Linda, thanks for being here. Hello. So you are a cloud-native technical specialist and a member of the global black belt team at Microsoft. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you do at Microsoft? Sure, sure. So first of all, I have like the most awesome title at Microsoft <laughs> <laughs> that most people don't understand, but it's, you know, it sounds great, especially you join a call with a customer and they're like, the global black belt is here. <laughs> but um, yeah, essentially we're problem solvers. You know, if someone has a problem or they want to know how to build something or they want to have a conversation about maybe like something that's out of the norm, like it's not your typical service that a lot of the cloud architects within Microsoft know, or it's something more on the open source side, something that's heavier into serverless or Kubernetes, or, you know, just, just something that's maybe out in the community. You know, there's a lot of open source tools and sure. things that we, we talk about. We could be just an open source black belt team. Um, and my background is development. I was thinking about this today. Um, like I'm not afraid to say I'm in my early 40s. <laughs> and so now half my life has been developing. I've had a professional job as a developer for half my life. So, you know, it's really like kind of ingrained in me uh, being a developer, even if I'm not coding every single day now because I'm on the phone a lot, just like chatting with people. But I still like really enjoy kind of hacking at things and thinking about, um, you know, methodologies. And, and that's part of what we do too on our team. I mean, maybe someone calls us up and says, I just can't get this, you know, working and we help them through it. But also maybe we just kind of talk about like, you know, why are you doing this this way? Right. And, you know, what do you think about this? And how about these tools and that sort of thing? Awesome. All right. So I've seen you give a number of presentations actually. And a lot of the presentations that you give uh, are around DevOps um, and serverless, right? And kind of how those things connect. And speaking about being in your early 40s, one of the things I love about your presentation, <laughs> I'm in my early 40s as well. Uh, I love your like 80s and 90s references because I get all of them and it is uh, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, so, but your talks usually are around DevOps um, and how it kind of intersects with uh, with serverless and, and a lot of times about the serverless developer themselves. And um, I remember back at... Uh, uh, back at Serverless Comp, it was like, you know, serverless developers are developers or something like that. And it was it was great talk. So I kind of want to talk to you today, though, about the culture, right? Like this culture around uh, the serverless developer. Because if you look at people using things like Amplify, there's this whole new thing like a full stack serverless developer. And then you've got some people who are, you know, kind of focused more on the, uh, I guess, on the infrastructure side of serverless, which is maybe a bit of an oxymoron, but maybe understanding mm -hmm. at least how some of these configures works, uh, how some of these configurations work. So maybe you just give us a quick overview, like what what is the overall culture look like for, you know, serverless developers? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, you threw like an AWS term at me. Sorry. And, you know, and that <laughs> I was like, Amplify, which one is that? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think what I keep trying to kind of drill in is it like, yeah, serverless developers are developers. And I keep saying too, serverless was made for us. 
right? I mean, serverless wasn't really, it didn't come out and become popular because ops people were like, no, nah, we don't really want to do our jobs. Right. Like we, uh, we, you know, we hate, we hate infrastructure. No, no, they, they love it. They've been skeptical this whole time. They're like, oh, so the developers are going to push to production now. Okay. Have fun with that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's essentially for us. So we shouldn't be the ones that are distrustful. We should be the ones that are saying, okay, here's our process. This is what we love to do. This, these are the things that we've done to be really successful at development all these years. Mm -hmm. And now we're carrying it over into this ecosystem where we have, you know, a little bit more control, but also less control kind of, right. I mean, we're not having to hand as much over to the ops people, but we're, we don't have to worry about things. Like, I think there was a period of time there for a while where I started to have to care about Docker containers more than I wanted to for a while in development. You know, and I mean, I'm at the point now where, you know, I kind of, I understand the process a lot more because I've just been in cloud for so long at this point. But there was a point where I just, you know, I really, I, I had a lot of strong opinions about my development environment and like in libraries and tools. And then suddenly, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to push to, you know, whatever past service. And then the ops people are like, okay, but like, we're going to need you to like put a Docker file in there. And I'm <laughs> like, hmm. And then there's suddenly there's all these troubleshooting steps. Right. So when serverless kind of took hold, I was like, oh, okay, everyone, this is like, this is now the way forward right. because I don't have to care as much. I'm just using some command line tools and just as simple as I push to GitHub, I push to the cloud. Um, and I really got on board with a lot of tools like serverless framework, especially too, that even abstracted some other things away. Um, now I think we're at the point where like you can use different IDEs and push different cloud platforms and be really successful too. Right. And that's, and that's actually one of the things I want to ask you about too, is that, you know, again, I've been developing for 20 some odd years. I think I started in 1996 or something like that. Um, so, uh, you know, this idea of having your tools, right? Your IDEs. I mean, I remember way, way back when, um, you know, using Eclipse and things like that. And, and some of those other ones, obviously there are a lot more now, um, but what are those tools that the developers were using in the past and are still, or can they still use those now? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my husband yesterday. So my husband works for GCP. So we're like a multi-cloud household anyway. <laughs> Um, but we have a very similar background in that we were j both Java developers and we moved to kind of Node.js around. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we moved to I still love, I still love Java. I don't know .NET at all, which is funny. I always like, I'll tell customers, I'm like, hey, Microsoft hires traders like me too. Like, I don't know anything about .NET, you know, but I can look at it and say like, okay, this is enough sure. of like Java that I can figure things right, out, right. you know? Um, but, you know, so we still talk about kind of development culture a lot and we're both in, in cloud now. And so we were just talking about Eclipse yesterday because I just loved Eclipse. And when I moved to Node, I was like, okay, so now to kind of assimilate into this hipster culture, I need to like use just a text editor with no highlighting. Right. Okay. All right. So I struggle with IDEs for a long time. And I, and I was saying yesterday, I just got to the point where I feel like VS Code is at a point that I love it as much as Eclipse. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not like a, you know, VS Code salesperson, but like I was, I was already loving it quite a bit before I even joined. I was actually, Microsoft. I used Atom for quite some time. That was sort of my yeah, go-to. And everyone was like, oh, VS Code, VS Code. I'm like, ah, and then I started using it. And whatever. Then I got my new laptop. I only installed VS Code. And other than needing to create an alias in my CLI so that when I type, uh, Adam, that it opens code, right? That was other than that, it, the transition has been uh, relatively easy. 
Yeah. So I, yeah. And I loved Eclipse. I think, I think VS code is there, but there's all these other like additions too. I mean, like I said, I could, there's so many great extensions and like trustworthy extensions right. that you can really push it to anything. Um, and, you know, I think because my interest is de developer culture and deployments and just thinking about how people interact with cloud, like I think about multi-cloud all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I work for Microsoft and I loved Azure, but I think a lot about, okay, well, how would AWS approach this problem? How would GCP approach this problem? You know, my husband and I talk a lot about, okay, you know, what's like your priority or like, how would you tackle this if you were using, you know, Cloud Run or Knative or something like, like how do you know, how do you approach this problem? And really as developers, that part's the same. I mean, once it gets to the cloud, things are architected slightly differently, but you know, as developers, we, we still have the same sorts of opinions and right. we're still essentially using our same process that we did when we were both developers, but we just, you know, yeah, pushing to some, some other place. Well, and that's, and that's something interesting too, where, you know, when I got into the, the mode of, you know, sort of enterprise development or you're developing code, you're checking it into a CIC or you're checking it into, you know, some sort of code repository. It's going through code review, going through CICD, you got Jenkins doing builds and tests and all these kind of things and, and doing the deployments for you. That was something that became very, I just think became ingrained in a lot of developers that were working for, for larger enterprises. And then, you know, serverless comes along and all of a sudden you've got the serverless framework and it's like serverless deploy. And next thing you know, it's in production. Uh, you know, is that something, you know, obviously there's good practices around, um, you know, code repositories and Git flow and things like that and CICD uh, and testing, but we can talk about that later. But the, is that something you, you see as part of the culture where just people are, you know, I, I mean, I guess they're skipping some of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that's kind of what I talked about a lot. And I was making fun of, you know, we as developers in my talk at Serverless Nashville and also at Serverless Conf. But um, it's just funny to me because especially coming from a Java background, I mean, Java developers are just notorious for process. Right. And I mean, your static code analysis and, you know, going through, I mean, it would take forever for a build to run. I mean, literally, it's just like the XKCD comic, yeah. you know, where the guys are sword fighting while the build's going on. I mean, it was just, it really was like that. I remember sitting there and being excited when I smartphones came out because I could get on my smartphone while my build right. was running. You know, and it was because it was just running through so many tests, unit tests and then integration tests and like this whole process of even being able to check code in and then moving through all the different environments. It was a pretty elaborate um pipeline. I mean, I had, I didn't have access to testing or production. Mm -hmm. I only had test, test, you know, access to development. And so, you know, when I moved to, you know, Node.js, it was a little bit more relaxed just because like Node was super brand new when I started and we just didn't really know what to do exactly. There mm -hmm. wasn't even really like testing frameworks out. And so things were a little bit wild, wild west, but people still knew that they were doing things wrong. Like they were like, okay, this feels really dirty that I'm not unit you know, testing. Right. This feels like, like, how do I move things through the stages? But, you know, I started noticing, though, when I was in consulting before I started working for Microsoft, that my our customers were not feeling that guilt at all. That something, there was some, like, switch that's flipped. And, like, they're in the cloud. But more importantly, like, they're, they're in serverless. And suddenly, it's okay to just push to production all mm -hmm. the time. And so, you know, we talked to customers and they would say, oh, I have 40 or 50 lambdas and okay, great. 
great. Okay. How are you like, you know, how are you keeping track of them or how are you testing them? Or, you know, how do, how do you develop them? Oh, well, you know, I log into AWS and I go to the portal and I type no. some code in and I hit submit. And I'm like, okay, so you don't, you don't lint anything. You don't test anything. That's production. You don't have a separate, you know, subscription or right. you know, account for, for these different. Nope. Mm -mm, no. And then yeah. they want, you know, help debugging something. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, like we need to start from scratch. Cause I mean, at that point, you know, I think I was kind of saying during my talk, you know, it's not just even pushing to production, but you're essentially like using the cloud as your, you know, revision control, you right. know, like, yeah. yeah, your, your portal in, you know, AWS or Azure GCP, like that little box that has a certain amount of protection in there. Yeah. That's not your vision control. Like you, you need Git, like GitHub needs to be involved or GitLab or like whatever your choice is. But well, I, I remember when I first started developing websites and I was uploading Perl scripts to CGI bins. Um, but what was great about that was, you know, you make a change, you upload it and it's immediately available because it's running on one server, right? We, we, we didn't see the volume that we had <laughs> now. Um, you know, and you do things like that and, and it was fast, like, oh, something's not working right. Okay, fine. Change it, upload it. It's there. And then we went to this culture, like this Java culture, like you talk about where it was essentially like, okay, you need something changed. It may take four seconds to make the code change, but it's a good three <laughs> hours before that thing's going to make itself, you know, make its way into production. Yep. Um, then serverless yeah. comes along. And then all of a sudden I feel like I'm uploading things to a CGI bin again. And it's like, great, because I'm like, oh, I can just put this into production really quickly. Um, and that's obviously a better practice, I think, than just using the console. Um, but certainly, you know, being able to just write quick scripts, especially if they're like DevOpsy scripts, you know, things that aren't really client-facing production, just being able to push those up um, is is uh, is a lot of fun. But now, now we go back to this, you know, thing where it's like we have all this control. This is the 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 powers in the developers' hands. But the importance of going through that CI/CD process—that's um, something we have to get back to, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean. I will say if you're using serverless framework or you're using, you know, VS code to push, you're at least slightly better than the portal developer because right. you're at least in your IDE, you're in your comfort zone and you probably have some sort of linter or static code analysis running because, you know, in VS code or Atom or whatever, there's always extensions. So you're like, you have a little bit of protection engaged there. So that's at least somewhat good. But then, yeah, of course, if you're using service framework, just push to production, then you're going to possibly run into some issues, especially because you're offline there too, right? So right. you're not considering all the other services. Um, there's so many tangents that I could, I could, you know, go off on here, but you know, I think that, you know, even if you have like a baby CI CD process, like even if you're just, you're pushing to revision control and you're keeping track of those changes yeah. that you're pushing. And then maybe you have something simple from there. Like it's a GitHub action. Maybe you go with like Travis CI or pipelines and Azure DevOps. And then you have like a really simple pipeline and that pipeline just, runs some additional checks for you. Maybe it does some additional linting or runs through your test suite or something. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's better. Like you don't have to start out, you know, you don't want it, like to get analysis paralysis, right? right like, exactly. okay, I'm, I'm writing a Twitter bot. And so what does my, you know, path to production look like? You right. know, no, not really. But like, but you need to like at least have, you know, that muscle memory engaged where you, you're developing. Um, and I think that's kind of the thing is with these developers, like when they, you know, you cross languages or you cross tools, you still kind of keep that muscle memory of this is what it feels like to develop. And this is the right way to do things. But there was just, there's just something about going to serverless 
that just became like processless. Right. Like it's like it removed that muscle memory because it suddenly felt like it wasn't development anymore. But it's like more development than ever. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like most development you can do in the code. I mean, in the cloud is 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 serverless essentially. You know. But that's you know that's the other thing though I think that's kind of interesting too, and and maybe we can get into just the testing bit um, a little bit more in a minute, but. This idea of being able to write code on your local machine and then test it locally has always been a thing. We'd always be running a JVM or something locally on our machine where we could we could test that code and we knew exactly how it looked. And then we moved to Docker and we'd run things in Docker containers. And if it ran in the Docker container on your machine, then it was even more. You never got that. It works on my machine. You know, TM uh, mm -hmm. statement all the time. But the but the thing about serverless that is sort of interesting now is that you oftentimes need the cloud and you need all of those interconnections in the cloud to actually see if something is running correctly. And so that's why I really like this rapid development thing of sort of like SLS deploy to dev, like just keep putting stuff up there um, and, yeah. then, and then be able to test that. But because that's so easy, it seems like uh, it seems like it's also like, well, wait, I could just change dev to prod and then all of a sudden it would be live. <laughs> um, so you're getting rid of that process. But I mean, that's the that's the thing, too, is like, wh how are people supposed to just iterate? You know what I mean? Especially when you need the cloud for a lot of the the nuances and the interconnectivity that you're that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you still need your playground. Right. And, that, and that's yeah. and that and that's fine. And you can still do whatever the heck you want in your playground. But the the. Problem is, is that, you know, and we've all seen this as developers, POCs always become production apps. Yes, they do. Always. <laughs> Every time a customer says, oh, we're just making a POC. Oh, yeah. That oh, POC a production. Just... Uh, it means per the P stands for production. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It always turns into some enterprise application. Right. So, I mean, that's fine if you're truly playing around, you're truly testing things, you're getting things going, you know, in, in dev. And dev is dev for a reason. But once things start going to test is when you start thinking, okay, I'm, I'm building something real right. here. This like, so there's going to be an end user. There's going to be some consequences here. Um, and then that's kind of when you really need to start to buckle down on that, on that process there. Um, but yeah, I've seen that so many times. Oh, this is just a POC. We don't, we don't, we don't need to worry about, you know, DevOps, you know, not right. for our POC. Yeah. Well, I, I always find that as soon as you put something <laughs> up there, that anybody who's not a developer can play with, it's automatically in production. They just assume it's productized and it's ready to go and they start pointing customers there. So uh, I've had that experience as well. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the other thing about serverless I think that is really interesting is less as a technology and more as a, a mind shift or mind change or whatever it is, or a, um, what's the other word that we usually use for it? Like a, it's, I, I guess it's sort of a culture shift in a sense. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But this idea of saying, look, there's all these services out there for you, right? So uh, you know, if you're in Azure and you want to use a database, you know, use Cosmo DB or whatever, right? Like you've got all these other things that exist for you. Why would I create these things ourselves uh, or recreate these things ourselves? Um, but that, you know, I guess that's less serverless um, developer, uh, you know, culture and more overall developer culture. Everybody wants to build their own things. Um, but is that something yeah. you think might shift with serverless? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think in the cloud in general, because, you know, when we were talking about standing on the shoulders of giants before, we were talking about using NPM packages or right. Ruby gems or whatever. And like, you kind of just don't even know who's written those. And there's some security kind of considerations there. And also like, you just don't know how much they're tested. You don't know if that maintainer is just going to go find another job somewhere. 
when you're talking about cloud services, and this is true for all the major clouds, I mean, they are tested by millions of people. They are used billions of times. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you, you know, no one's going to say like, oh, I just, you know, don't think that, you know, fill in the blank service like Cosmos DB. Like, yeah. like, oh, I just don't think it's really tested that much. Or like, what if the person who works on it leaves? Well, there isn't one person, right? right. It's a whole team of people and there's a company that supports it. So, I mean, I think it's somewhat, it's kind of ridiculous when people don't trust cloud services. Um, if you don't want lock-in, that's a whole nother discussion, right? But, you know, if you're, if you're already, if you're already in a cloud, and I mean, a lot of people are multi-cloud, you know, um, also, and they, they kind of spread things around to try to, you know, minimize that sort of lock-in feeling, but, but really you get, you get locked into libraries too, right? Absolutely. If you're writing, if I'm writing a Node.js app and I'm using some NPM package, um, yeah, that thing's going to stick around forever. And How often do you do you go back and switch out your NPM package? Right, and Never. if the NPM package, <laughs> you know, speaking of the developer going getting another job or something, if the NPM package is used by thousands and thousands of, or has thousands of dependencies, and they make a change that breaks a whole bunch of stuff, like it just happened a couple yep. weeks ago. Um, I mean, that's with I think was the is promise, um, you know, is promise package yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of scary. I mean, and lock in, like you said, that's a probably a longer discussion, but. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like there's this sort of 80% rule, right? Where if, uh, if another service gets you sort of 80% of the way there, um, I, to me, that just makes a lot of sense. Like, I like building my own stuff too. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this you know, system is good, but maybe I could make it a little bit better. And you might get to that point. But I mean, just what are your thoughts around just this idea of, you know, this eight, I don't know, I call it the 80% rule. It may be called something else in actuality. Um, but just this idea of like, just good enough. Is that, is that something we should be embracing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I have so, I mean, I have so many thoughts here. I have to give, uh, I have to give a plug to Forrest Brazil for his talk at Serverless uh, Days Virtual this week, because his talk was basically a talk that I also was submitting to conferences <laughs> about, that, but my talk was like, don't write code. Because right. I just started thinking about the fact that if I was developing something for the cloud or just in general, if I start typing a lot, I pause and I go, okay, somebody's already written this. I'm not that clever. Uh, you know, not, not, you know, not really. There's a lot of smart people in the world. There are a lot of people that code all the time. So this is already done somewhere. It's either in a library or it's a service. And I talk to so many customers and people who, you know, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I, I, here's my great idea of a thing. And almost always I'm like, no, okay, so that is this, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's, and I mean, even like, you know, messaging systems, you know, like, you know, service bus on um, Azure. I mean, there are so many developers that have tried to write messaging systems yep. and there are so many out there. There's so many people that have tried to write Kafka um, you know, and they still are there's, you know, and I, and sometimes I, I talk to people that are trying to create something and they will say, okay, well, I'm going to put this in a function, this in a function. And I'll say, no, you don't need functions here. This is already a service. Already you a can service, already yeah. use something like logic apps. Like you don't have to write any code and, you know, you just kind of connect some things together or, you know, there's already built in services and that's still serverless, right? Like serverless is not just fast. Right. Exactly. Like you don't have to write a hundred lambdas to be a serverless developer. Um, Could just write so, configuration code. I mean, in many yeah. cases, it's just, it's YAML or JSON or something like that, right? Yeah. And for me, if that's the case, I've won. I yeah, feel like I'm point. like, wow, I just saved all this time. 
I don't have to test anything because I didn't write anything. You don't have to maintain it. I mean, that yeah. was that was the point that Forrest made, I think, that was, uh, you know, it's pretty smart to think about that is the amount of technical debt that you take on. Yes. He basically said something like the first version of anything you build is the worst version of that thing that's ever been built because it hasn't been tested. It's missing all those features. Um, I mean, and that's brilliant, right? And then not only that, but then even if you keep working on and adding features and so forth, someone's got to maintain it. And you know that there's always that one developer who leaves and you're like, hey, how did we how do we manage this project or how do we control this server, whatever it is? And it's that one person who left who who did it and all that institutional knowledge is gone. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, what if that person left and everyone was like, oh, look at this architecture that he built. We only have to change it slightly and swap out a few services. Or, you know, Microsoft or AWS, you know, came out with something else that deprecated this thing he Mm -hmm. used and we just have to swap something in and out. And we don't have to worry about any bugs hidden down in code. I mean, what what about that? That sounds beautiful, right? Instead of just, you know, hating Larry who like, you know, left the company and like, why did he write all this code? And, you know, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's funny. I mean, this was, it was funny. It was like the week that we got married, we were, you know, we went to Canada and we're on vacation and I was cooking up this idea for this don't code talk the whole time we were up there. I mean, this is just how my brain works because there was some conversation I had before we left for Canada. And then the whole time I was there and I was like, and I'm sort of talking it through and sort of writing notes in the hotel. Cause I'm just sort of thinking about, okay, you know, you're not that clever. Your code's not that important. Mm-hmm. Like code doesn't define you. You are not a coder. You are an engineer. Right. And like, you know, when you're given a bunch of building blocks that are solid, then use those building blocks to build something more efficiently and something that's stronger than if you built your own blocks that are potentially full of, you know, technical debt, yeah. essentially. And so I think it just... Yeah, it's it's a matter of changing our idea of like what a developer means. And a lot of a lot of developers are still like running by this idea of like, okay, well, my salary is based on how many lines of code I write or oh, something God. stupid like that, you know? And a CEO who asked me how many lines of code we wrote, and I said, Why? Why would you want to know that? <laughs> that's it. The more lines of code, the the more of a risk we are, right? I think that's Yeah, that's probably... like a Dilbert comic, <laughs> exactly. right? That's like the pointy eared boss pointy eared right. boss, like, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, so I think it's like, it's a matter of, um, you know, so like my background, my original, original background was art. I was an art major in college and I spent many years struggling to figure out how the heck I was going to like pay off my student loans. <laughs> and then I was, and then, you know, I was repairing computers on the side and I was like, oh, okay, this is how I make money, right. but I'll be an artist. I, my, I, my identity is an artist, but like, uh, you know, I'm going to make money doing this like computer thing that like is stupid. Well, and so I remember when visual artists started transitioning to digital and it was really difficult because they really felt like they were losing their identity. Well, this is like, I'm cheating and I'm not getting my hands dirty and I'm not like using paint and there's not a canvas Mm -hmm. and someone can't own a physical thing. And so this isn't real. And there was like this division between, you know, the digital artists and the visual artists. And so I feel like it's a little bit similar, but it's not, it's the same thing though. You're still using your same part of your brain um you're still an artist you're still an engineer it's right. just you're just evolving essentially and you're embracing technology yeah and so there's there's certainly a shift though and i think this is something you know that you mentioned where you write less code but 
it certainly as a serverless developer, you might write less code, but you write more config. And it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's more about I, mean, I guess it's less about knowing how to, you know, code a switch statement and more about knowing how to connect, you know, I'll use AWS terms because I'm more familiar with those, but how to connect a Lambda function to an SQS DLQ or something like that. So, I mean, yeah. there, and, and knowing how that works, there are scaling characteristics, right? There's still stuff that you need to know, like how many concurrent functions do I want running or, you know, what's the, what are the redrive policies? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you need to know that is not if this equals that, then do this. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and, and that's when we, we bring the ops people back in, like, hey, hey guys, <laughs> you still have a job. You know, we didn't put you out of business with serverless because there's still servers right. and there's still config and there's still some infrastructure, you know? So I think a lot of developers are still only gonna go but so far. And I think really it's still our job to write like the infrastructure as code or to make sure the infrastructure as code is existing and then that's part of our process too. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're not just writing Terraform or, or whatever all day long. Um, but that's that's part of it too, is when you have all these configs and you have all these pieces together, then that's when this repeatability becomes more important. Like it becomes as important as unit testing yeah. or integration testing is make sure that you have a repeatable deployments and that includes your, you know, all these the ways these systems connect together. Yeah. I mean, and certainly infrastructure as code is just the new normal, right? Like I can't even, mm -hmm. re I, I remember again, uh, this is how old I am, but again, you have to like, if you had to move it to a new uh, a new system or you had to transfer something, whatever. It was like everything from the database configurations to the the uh, patchy config, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff, you had to duplicate it on all these other systems. I mean, actually not that long ago, I that, so I, I guess it doesn't make me that old, um, but even just using like, um, you know, Opsworks or any of the you know, chef scripts and puppet and those sort of things uh, in order to recreate these, these infrastructures. Uh, you know, that just to me was this crazy idea where now with serverless, it's just like, you know, serverless remove and it's, you know, pulls down the whole or tears down the whole stack and then serverless deploy and it recreates a new one. Um, and it's, it's just there for you. So I, I, I do think learning infrastructure as code and at least the developers, they need to embrace that first piece of it, right? Like, you know, he or she has mm -hmm. to say, I am willing to um, uh, at least give a rough architecture um, and then write any code that has to support that. Um, but then I do think ops people come in there like that is something where understanding the scaling of that and monitoring it like that's a whole other thing that we didn't even talk about. But I do think mm -hmm. that developers need to really embrace that IAC stuff. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor, Datadog, a modern full stack monitoring platform for cloud infrastructure applications, and log metrics all in one place. From their recent report on serverless adoptions and trends, they found that half of their customers using EC2 have already adopted AWS Lambda and are using Datadog to monitor their serverless applications. If you'd like to easily be able to monitor all of your serverless functions and generate all your serverless metrics in one place, check out a free 14-day trial and get a free t-shirt by visiting datadog.com slash serverlesschats. And I mean, um, yeah, this is, these are lots of conversations I've had as well, because there is that, there's always that, um, that struggle between the development team and the ops team of like, something's broken and whose fault is it? Right. You know, is it, is it the fault of the code? Is it the fault of the in infrastructure? And if you're always deploying everything the same way, if, if your infrastructure looks the same on dev as it does test and then prod, it doesn't matter. Like you should be deploying the same way. You're deploying the same code, and that that repeatability just sort of like keeps you honest, right? Um, you know, and that's 
you know, and I guess that that kind of goes back to like writing that code, you know, in the portal or whatever, you know, you're just completely bypassing everything and you're not even considering like what, um, you know, what configuration changes that someone might have made in other environments because you're just give your, you know, dev subscription or whatever. Sure. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's so much outside of that. I mean, it feels good when you get something working, you know, when you just like, you type something in there, you know, and like, I mean, you know, my talk at serverless Nashville, I had a video, you know, of the doofus developer, just like typing in the portal. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, because you know, it like, it works. That feels great. But you know, for longevity reasons, like you you need to have, you need to embrace your process and process feels good too. Right. When you have a process that just works, and like a bug comes up and you know exactly where it is, mm-hmm. you know exactly what the problem is, you know, and you, and, or like tests fail and you're like, oh, okay, that's why these tests were here right. because it's going to catch this particular problem before it slips through to production. That feels good too. Well, again, I mean, again, I, I do want to get into testing just quickly, but the, but that is <laughs> one of those things too, where it have, knowing that if you change something, I have I have seen spaghetti code at companies I've worked with or, or clients I've worked on uh, uh, code for where there's just so much like I don't know if I change this what happens right like why is it checking for a string and an object like you know what I mean and trying to mm-hmm. figure out why it does that and then having no test coverage at all right to know what what breaks in production so I think uh, uh, yeah I totally agree with that but um, one other thing though about the dev ops or the ops side of things so obviously a lot of configuration and like you said. The less code you have to write, the better. So what about going the other way? What about ops people that are very familiar with infrastructure and have you know been using Terraform, have been using CloudFormation, things like that over the last couple of years, have gotten very familiar with this the configuration piece of it. Um, now them moving into a developer role, only having to write a few line of code, a few lines of code in order to make you know an entire uh, you know an entire system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's funny because I've had a lot of DevOps conversations with infrastructure teams, and a lot of them are like, "Well, I don't need this. This is, you know, we're not a development team. I don't need to have this discussion." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of the discussions have been around our tool, which is Azure DevOps. Um, you know, and 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 really, and like it. I mean, I guess like that could be seen as a developer only tool because you know you can you know run builds and you can you know run your static code analysis and unit tests and all that. But I mean, you can also, you know, deploy with your, you know, IAC of choice. And so there are a lot of, you know, you can, and there's so many like plugins and things. And even if you're not using Azure DevOps, you've been using like some other completely different, you know, lesser tool. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, we, we have a ton of plugins. So like if people want to use like Ansible or whatever, um, we, we support all that. So a lot of the discussions I've had, I've had to have conversations about tools that are way outside of the realm of like what Microsoft produces or even that I've used all that heavily because I'm talking to entirely infrastructure teams and I'm trying to teach them about the culture of DevOps, which isn't necessarily around code development. You can have no developers whatsoever. Like let's say you have some off the shelf tool, but you just need to make sure that that tool is getting deployed in the same way in a way that like supports i guess whatever configurations this this like code needs this software product mm-hmm. let's say you know and that's um and that's sort of a bit like in healthcare that's a huge use case yeah. you know um there you know there's a lot of industries like legal or finance where you just have they have software products that they use they don't even have in-house developers but they do have an ops team that has to make sure that this 
you know, gets deployed and as they make upgrades, as, you know, cloud platforms change, as, you know, maybe they're migrating to a different cloud platform, maybe they're going multi-cloud, they still have to make sure that this software product keeps getting deployed and keeps working um, and keeps integrating with all these other tools. So they have to start now thinking about testing. They have to think about repeatable deployments, mm-hmm. you know, writing Terraform. Um, it's it's a little bit of a struggle, you know, because I've, I've heard it tons of times. Well, I'm not a developer, you know, like, well, that's okay. Like, I mean, anybody can be a developer and, you know, it's not like you don't just get a stamp at birth exactly. to like, developer, <laughs> not developer, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, goes back to that identity that I was talking about before. Um, but, you know, and I think like, obviously they have this great benefit of knowing infrastructure really well and understanding, you know, like networking mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and security way better than I do even in the cloud. Um, but it's more like teaching them, like you can't log into the portal and just even change a little configuration setting. Right. No, cause you don't know that you're making that same change on, in every environment. And then what if you make that change and then you leave? Right. And then everyone's forgotten that, like, you know, Sally, like, set some flag, you know, once upon a time. And then everything breaks the next time you deploy. And it takes forever to hunt those things down. Um, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, another thing, and this is maybe a little bit off topic, but, you know, this idea of, like, low-code or no-code solutions and things like that. Do you see those... I mean, I think some people equate serverless to that idea of like, you know, what happens when, you know, when we don't have to write any more code and now it's just configuration and why can't we just put that in UIs and things like that? I mean, do you see, do you see these tools becoming popular? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, serverless kind of started this, at least for me with, you know, with things like API Gateway, um, because, you know, for the longest time, I, you know, I was running these node apps and I was using, you know, like Happy or Express. And there was so much code that I was just repeating constantly just to set up like an HTTP server mm-hmm. and to set up routes for like an API. And I mean, a lot of it, I was just copying and pasting code, you know, and, and copying and pasting code into handlers and just like to add to like an API. And it just like, it took a long time. And now you know, either those types of things are just becoming separate services. Like, you know, we have API management in Azure, you know, a lot of the things that I was repeating and a lot of the problems I had, I can kind of just do in the portal now. And it's just kind of its own service or, um, you know, I remember the first time I wrote, you know, a web app that was like a Lambda with API gateway. And I was like, wow, I don't have to worry about any of this HTTP BS. Like I'm just, I just wrote my code. And also too, you know, I mean, I would just take the libraries that I had be- written before and I could just sort of call those still from a Lambda. And I really like didn't have to rewrite that much to make a serverless application. Mm-hmm. And that was really nice. And I still kind of write things like that. Like I'll write a library first and then the, the actual amount of code that's in my function is really small um, because I'm just calling either other services in the cloud or I'm calling some library or something. Um, but I almost now, I almost never feel like, oh, okay, I got to copy and paste this again or copy and paste that again. Yeah. Um, like maybe I have a scaffolding in GitHub and I just have a like a project template that I'll reproduce, mm-hmm. you know, to start out with things. But yeah, I never feel like, oh man, like it really sucks to be a developer to have to like make sure you don't like, you know, copy paste this thing wrong. So that, I mean, yeah. so that was how it kind of started for me with serverless is like, okay, I'm writing way less code. 
And the things that are replacing the code that I was writing, these services, they're so well tested and trusted and I don't have to worry about it. Like I never would, would you know, be concerned that like API gateway or API management like just aren't working correctly. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's probably some configuration that I've made. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but I think like, you know, in the next, your next point about like sort of low code, no code, then you start to move into tools like, you know, we have logic apps. Um, if you look at, you know, kind of on the office 365 side, we've got power platform and flow. And so, you know, that's kind of interesting because not only are you, is it low code, but we're now taking the shadow IT people and the citizen developers mm-hmm. kind of, and like taking, pulling them out and saying, Hey, you can now create applications right. in the cloud. So, you know, it's kind of like the like democratization of coding now, <laughs> you know? And so that like, this is even a bigger topic, but you know, okay, now coders are now engineers and then citizen, you know, developers are developers, right. you know? And then it just, it opens it up to a lot of people being able to create things really quickly, get them into the cloud faster. Um, you know, and like on, you know, I don't know what the uh, sort of equivalent um, would be kind of in the other clouds, but for, for us, like, I mean, with like logic apps, for example, like I've built a ton of Twitter bots. I have so many Twitter bots out there. People have no idea. <laughs> like if there's an account out there that's tweeting like adoptable cats, yeah. it's probably mine. And who knows what cloud platform it's on? Cause I've deployed them all out to different cloud platforms right. and they just run forever and they don't cost me any money. But for the longest time, though, I was having to like copy paste my Twitter API code across all these apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I just I'll use these logic apps and I just sort of like drag over my, you know, Twitter connector and then just, you know, connect that. And then maybe I, maybe I'll write like a function to do something really simple. Right. And then so, yeah, I have tons and tons and tons of bots now coming out of logic apps. Um and, um, and, you know, and you can still, I still set up, I have like an ARM template for my logic apps. And so I still have like somewhat of a, like a baby CI CD process mm-hmm. where I deploy those. Um, and I don't really have much code, so I'm not really writing any unit tests there. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, because I mean, if you look at services, maybe like, a, I don't know, like Airtable, for example, where you can just, you know, drag and you know, create a, a spreadsheet essentially or a database and then create forms for it and then reports. I mean, and you mentioned API Gateway earlier, and that's one of those things where, you know, API Gateway and then AppSync, which is the GraphQL sort of, you know, I guess mm-hmm. version of that. Uh, you, right now you can set up your authentication, right? And you use Cognito or Auth0 or something like that. And then you can set up all your routes so it knows where it needs to go. And you can do service integration. So you can say, just pull data right from the database um, and you know what I mean? Or put it right into an SQSQ or something else. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is really interesting because a lot of those things that we do now where we write a Lambda function or we write a, you know, an Azure function or something to process some data just to move it somewhere else, um, all of that stuff is starting to go away. And so that, that's why I just, I bring it up because I think that those are really interesting tools. And if you can solve those problems where it's like you don't need a developer now to write a simple API to maybe, you know, put data in and things like that, but you need them to do something more interesting afterwards. I mean, I'm not saying developers are going away. I think there's more, there's more need for us now than there ever was. Um, but anyways, I find that interesting. And then I think, you know, with yeah. your logic apps um, example, you know, like server, uh, um, AWS has like step functions, which is like their state machine type things. And they also have their serverless application repository where you can create like little reusable snippets that you can, you know, do all kinds mm-hmm. of processes for you. Um, so I think that that's really interesting because you're right. You don't want to be 
using the same Twitter API over and over and over again, copying and paste that in because then it changes in one and then all of a sudden your adopted cats things breaks because, you know, the Twitter API. Yeah. And like all those cats don't find homes because I had a terrible, you know, deployment process. (laughs) Right. And that would be a tragedy. Like if there's any reason to have a good developer process, it's for those kitties. It's for the cats. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So one other thing. So I, I do want to talk about testing and I and I know there's a there's holy wars on this, especially now um, <laughs> with testing in the cloud and things like that. So we don't have to get into the specifics of um, exactly how, you know, exactly how we might do it. But just testing overall. I mean, obviously a good idea. And I just don't think enough people are doing it. No, I mean, no, like a lot of people are not doing it at all. Maybe most people aren't doing it at all. I mean, I think. You know, I mean, I guess most things that are public on GitHub are not, you know, production applications. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, production, especially enterprise applications, like those are going to be private. But like, you almost never see unit tests on GitHub. Like when I go to people's projects and I'm, and these are things that I'm using. I don't. You do on mine. My projects, I I write tests. I write too many tests. (laughs) For my (laughs) demos, like for my my conference demos, I'll have a test that runs, but usually it's just like printing something out. I'm super, (laughs) I'm like super lazy about conference talk demos, which, which, which goes against everything I'm I'm going for here, right? Because sure. like if that demo breaks before a talk, that is devastating. <laughs> I mean, that's my equivalent of a production app breaking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that kind of goes back to, you know, this like muscle memory, you know, I mean, you don't have to go full on test driven development, you know, or I think, you know, Forrest was saying, you know, you need to uh, like have those tests in there first. You know, I mean, that's good. That's really good practice. Um, but I think it's just, it, it kind of, it goes into that analysis paralysis for people. They're like, I don't know how to write a test for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just put something in there and then it will start to come to you as you, as you're like writing code or you're connecting services or you're building something, it will start to occur to you. Okay. If you know, you don't need to test the services themselves, but you, you start to say, okay, this is where things might break down. And then you, you know, and kind of insert tests there. You mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to have it planned all out it in the beginning from, from my opinion. I mean, I think that's, that's great, but you know, I've fallen into a lot of traps with development teams where you try to teach them best practices and it just gets to a point where they can't move. Yeah. Um, because they're like, they can't develop because they don't know how to write the test first or, you know, yeah. Like yeah. I worked on a team that tried to implement um, required pair programming. And I mean, all the introverts were like, nope, no, we're calling in no six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, right. I, you know, I don't I, you have to like understand human nature there to some extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, as much as as you would, you know, test any application, it's no different with, you know, ser- serverless. And if you know, if you've been testing zero, then okay, you should at least test some, you know, 5% <laughs> or something. Right. But um, yeah, I think it I think it is really it is really important. And I think people get into a real rabbit hole too about unit testing versus integration testing in the cloud and testing frameworks and all that. And that's like, the, the thing that I don't want to argue with people about, but I just, just do something. Do now. something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> and, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, for a while I was big into TDD and I was like, you know, I write my tests up front and I, and I was very good, uh, you know, did it for a big project and it worked really, really well. But the problem is, is that you're just, 
you're right. It traps you. You're like, now I'm writing tests. Like I just wrote all these tests and I haven't written any code yet. Right. You know, but I just spent like five days writing tests. Um, and often what I do, and this is just something that if you have tests or you haven't written tests right now, this is just some advice I'll give. Um, I love using like a code coverage tool to just go back and show you which, you know, which mm -hmm. statements and which branches haven't been run. And then just go in and just write some tests that make sure that those different parts of the code are tested. Um, as I know for me, I'll stare at something and I'll have like these nested ternary operators and I'm like, wait a minute, why does, how do I even trigger <laughs> that branch? Like, I don't even know how to get there. Um, and so being able to write that and reason about it. And then sometimes it's good to go back and look at your test to figure out how code works sometimes, which is always a, um, which is always a good thing. All right, so one more thing about testing in general, like, do you think that the testing culture has changed? I mean, is this due to the cloud? Is it due to serverless containers? Oh, it's definitely changed. I mean, but it's, it, it's changed in the same way of, people, you know, selling their soul, essentially, you know, as I was saying in my talk, I mean, if people weren't testing before, then they're not testing now. Right. But there are a lot of people that were TDD, you know, um, enforcers that just suddenly don't write anything because they just like don't know how mm. kind of, you know, mm. but I mean, really, I think when you if you start from the beginning, if you start with unit tests, you can still use whatever your testing framework of choices like, you know, J unit or, yeah. you know, Mocha or whatever. If you start there, at least writing unit tests and writing them to test your code, then you can at least that's something that's like a good building block. And you can work from there to start to say, okay, what does integration test look like? How do I test these interactions? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is sort of back to what we were talking about before too. Like the, the, the basis of serverless, you know, in my opinion is that it's event driven. Yeah. And so for me, you know, serverless isn't Lambda or functions or logic apps or whatever. It's it's about like this event driven paradigm and it just happens to be fully managed and, you know, it happens to be kind of to support developers writing less code. And there's all these other these other features, but it comes back to the to um, event driven architectures. And I think that um, that create, you know, that's kind of a different, like kind of a mind switch, I think for a lot of people um, too. And so that makes it a little bit harder to wrap their brain around how they might test those things. Right. But that also allows for you to, to go more service to service to service with events and not have to be, to write a lot of code. But at some point, you know, maybe you're in, you know, ingesting or, you know, using some code to kind of figure out like what's inside of this event, yeah. what you want to do with it and yeah. pass it on. Um, and then those are the cases where, you know, you definitely want to be testing that. Um, you don't want to lose some parts of your message because like you didn't test your, you know, message ingester, you know, dot Java or whatever, right. you right. know? <laughs> well, the black, the black box of, I, I think that's one of the reasons why people love to write functions and serverless applications is because there's just, it seems like a black box. Like if it goes from service A to service B to service C and nobody ever sees it, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah. what happened there? Um, you know, and it's funny. Like, what do I commit to GitHub if I'm just doing <laughs> ABC, exactly. you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've fallen into that before too. And right. it's just like, and it's, and it's just like a Terraform. It's just arm. a config file. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I think the advice always there has been like, you know, use functions to transform, not to transport, right? So if you're just moving yeah. them from service to service, um, you know, that's that's not the best way to do it. So speaking out the best way to do things, um, just maybe wrap this up. I mean, off the top of your head, what are the, sort of the most important, I guess, processes or best practices, uh, you know, for, for a serverless developer? Um, well, I think, it, I think it's the same as, 
as a developer developer, you know, I think that, um, you know, all the things that we've been kind of, you know, drilling into developers forever and, you know, and I mean, you're the same age as I am. So like, we've seen everything, we've seen every shift, you know, possible and and even shifts within like scrum and how scrum affects development. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all these weird trends in development. I was thinking earlier when you're talking about testing that there was a trend where, uh, developers would have the customers write the unit tests for them. And, and that, and so that way the developers would know what to write, right. you know? Yep. And I mean, that was like a weird, that was weird. I mean, I understand why they were doing that, but it, that was weird. Um, and so I, but I think like do what works for you, right? You're a developer, like you're a trustworthy individual who knows how to write applications and you're transitioning to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Everything that you've been doing is probably correct. And now we just need to tweak your process. We want you to be more efficient. We want you to use, you know, services that are trusted. Right. Um, and, you know, but ultimately, I think if you're, you know, if you're using your IDE that you love, you're, you're doing your, you know, static code analysis in one way or another, you're writing some amount of unit tests and integration tests, and you have a repeatable CI/CD process, um, you know, revision control, of course, mm-hmm. is always in there. I have to stress that too, because that's just, that's like, there are a lot of people that write service, serverless applications that never commit code. Mm. Um, and that just blows my mind because if you're writing a traditional web app that maybe you deploy to a pass or something, you, you'd always commit it somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think just, yeah, I mean, go with what you know. I mean that like, you know, Forrest talked about the familiarity bias, like that's, that's, there's some, there's some good to that too. Yeah. You know, right. because like, you know, you've been doing things in a, in a repeatable way that have been very successful and like continue those even though you're in this, you know, scary cloud environment. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, Linda, thank you so much for being here today uh, and sharing all of this awesome knowledge. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or uh, find out what you're working on, how do they do that? So I'm pretty much Linaloo everywhere, L-Y-N-N-A-L-O-O. Um, I don't, I'm, I find that I'm like bad about checking Twitter DMs, but like, you know, they're, and they're not open because there's just like not nice people in the world. But yes. if you like, if you just mention me on Twitter, I'll find it. Um, you can email me, you know, GitHub. Um, I'm out, out in the world. I think, you know, probably just a Twitter mention is probably the best way to, to, to poke me. Awesome. I'll find it. All right. Well, I will get all that into the show notes. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Linda Nichols for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, Datadog. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 48. For more serverless chats, subscribe, check us out on YouTube, and make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.